All right. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology, cutting through the nonsense or the fluff and getting the questions answered you need answered. So today is going to be a fun one for, for a number of reasons, which you're going to you're going to discover why it's going to be so fun here very soon. But what we're going to be talking about is skill development through mission-based learning. Now that may sound that may sound very familiar to you, that may sound very foreign to you. We're going to unpack what that means and why it matters because this is something that I tend to get a little amped up about myself and uh, I am joined by Guido and you know what? I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name right before we went live. So I need you to say it again. Or you have a go first and then I'll tell you whether it's right. I can't see it. Oh, Schnarrweiler. Schnarrweiler. All right. Yeah, exactly. Guido Schnarrweiler, and he's from the mission. So we're going to talk more about what that looks like. But while we're getting started, like we always do, we want this to be fun and engaging for everybody participating. So if you would do me a favor and comment where you are in the world today, let us know. Guido, I already know, but I'm not going to spoil it for everybody else. So where are you today? Okay. Hello, everyone. I, I'm sitting in Switzerland, in, in the heart of Europe, uh, near Zurich. So it's 30 kilometers from Zurich. Okay. All right. So you're in Switzerland. I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where I always am. And uh, so as we get into this, I do have my icebreaker question, which hopefully you didn't forget. Hopefully you didn't forget your answer to. Um, but what's going to be... I'll actually also spoil the what's going to be fun about this once we get started, but not just yet. So anyway, for that, all right, Guido, what is one thing in your personal life that if you could snap your fingers, if you could snap your fingers and instantly change it, what would it be? All right. Yeah. Um, if I could snap my finger, I think I would change the location of where I'm at at the moment. I would. I would like to sit in in Australia actually at the moment because really? that was that was the plan uh, we, we we were uh, planning a time out with the family okay. and we wanted to to travel to Australia take the kids out of school and travel to Australia which uh, for obvious reasons wasn't possible so if i could snap my finger i would be there right now okay okay so Austra have you been to australia before never no okay so never. that's that's what, so it was, is that like a bucket list thing where it's like, we really want to go to Australia? Yeah, probably it is. It, it's uh, it's just a, a dream location. I, I imagine uh, the people to be very relaxed uh, and close to nature, uh, so many things to explore and yeah, just go to the other end of the world. That will be fantastic at the moment. Right. You're in gorgeous Switzerland, gorgeous, exactly. Switzerland, right. And you're, you're wanting to go to Australia. I know some folks in Australia. I actually wouldn't mind going to Australia, but I have five kids right now. So traveling anywhere, not, not really, not really in the docket. So maybe I'll go in my virtual headset or something like that. <laughs> okay. So would you, would you snap your fingers and be there? Or would it just be you would be able to go? That's where, what's the, I'm curious on that. No, I, I would be there. Okay, I would really like, be there. Boom, yeah. boom yeah. whole family exactly. in Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Family, what's, describe the family for me. Yeah, uh, I, I'm married and we have uh, three kids, 10, 8, and 7. Uh, okay, yeah. all right. You're right in the thick of it too, okay? So I've yeah. got five, yeah, 10, 
no nine six five four two so so i'm right there i'm right all right all right I, that's I, unbelievable I five kids. your fingers and be there i can uh, see yeah. why you would want to snap your fingers <laughs> and be there okay all right cool okay so for me for me if i could snap my fingers and change anything instantly in my personal life it would be we bought this house. We bought this house uh, where I live now in Waukesha. I think it's been three and a half years ago now. And um, we had these grand plans to do a bunch of projects ourselves. We're going to DIY this house. We're going to change things and we're going to do it all ourselves. And let's just say we have a habit of starting projects and then we don't always finish them. And so we have a lot of projects that are kind of in the middle of things. So if I could snap my fingers, it all be done. The house would be done. All the projects would be done. If anybody knows a great, you know, contractor in Wisconsin, message me because this is kind of one of the things my wife and I talk about all the times. We're like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Now we have all these projects that are in midstream and when are we ever going to get them done? So that would be mm -hmm. mine. Yeah, maybe we need to take a closer look at that. Maybe it qualifies for a mission, which we can talk about later. <laughs> there we go. There we go. If you can help me solve that problem, I I would be all over that. So, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to this. And again, the, the funny part is what's going to be so fun about this, for those of you who are watching, is Guido and I were talking about this before we came live on the fact that... so. Guido's introverted, right? He's introverted, as am I, which most people don't believe, but we both were. And so we're talking about the fact that this is not our comfort zone, being out here talking to a live audience of people, just having a conversation, but we're going to get through it and we're going to have so much fun. And Guido is secretly super excited, right? That's what you That's what you told me. Totally excited. I, absolutely. I, I learned to transform uh, anxiety into uh, excitement. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's let's transition over to the topic at hand, which is mission-based skill development. Before we even really define, well, let's actually define that at least at a high level. I think we'll dig into it on a on a deeper level as we get into it. But when we're talking about this, when people say a mission, a mission for skill development, how do you tell people what that is? Like, let's just do the let's just do the brief elevator summary of how do you explain to people what it is the mission does? Mm. Well, to put it in in probably very simple words, it's it's action learning. So basically, what it means is you 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 do a task, you solve a problem or you solve a challenge, and you try to learn something by doing that, and you reflect during the process of fulfilling a task basically that's that's the very basic description i would say okay okay so it's experiential or action-based putting putting learning to work solving a so the mission would be like there's a problem there's a situation and then you're working to solve that in in yes. a, at a high level yes okay. and i think we are we've been doing that for the last 20 years uh with lots of of clients lots of different organizations and we were doing this on site with participants in in a venue and they were uh, solving the thing sorry originally it was an in-person thing you were doing this in exactly person. exactly yeah. we've been doing that for almost 20 years in person uh, on site with people and um 
then we were starting to experiment with it more and more. And for instance, we were uh, taking challenges from one organization and we were letting participants from another organization solve that challenge of, of the other organization. So they had to be empathic and think about what could the challenge really be and how can we help the other organization to, to overcome that challenge. Okay. And that was that was still on site. That was still personal uh okay. on site learning. And eventually we, we were thinking about why not do that the same thing virtually? Why not bring people together from all over the world who don't who don't know each other, uh who have to get to know each other first, who have to build some trust first, uh become a team and tend to solve a, a real issue of another organization or uh, yeah that was that was the idea okay so i there are so many things i want to dig into on this one like so many things that i want to dig into on this but before i do so i have to ask because there's there's three of you that co-founded it right yeah so when you were a kid <laughs> did you know you know what we're gonna do mission-based action learning as a company. I mean, how did that? How did that even start? Like, where did the three of you were you sitting around the pub and one day you went, you know what? We should. I, like, what was that story? How did that begin? Twenty years ago. Well, at the time, I was I was uh, uh, working as a as a learning leadership development expert for for a Swiss Re for Swiss for Swiss company Swiss reinsurance company and. Um, Obviously, we we were looking for ways uh, of how to develop our leaders in a in a in a sustainable way, and I mean all the traditional ways of learning uh, we we've been through at the time. I mean, you know, front loaded trainings or case studies and and yeah, so on. And at the time, we were starting to experiment with action-based learning. So for instance, I can remember one uh, episode where Swiss Re wanted to uh, get a, a Chinese license. They wanted to do business in China. Okay. Uh, and so we had the idea to, to come up with some actors, some Chinese actors who would represent uh, the Chinese government. And our leaders had to convince that government uh, representatives uh, to, to get that license. And that was like one of the first experiments we did with action learning. So that was still a role play, but it, it was a bit more real. But it was than... a more complicated role play because that's not just like, oh, we exactly. don't pretend you're a Chinese government agent. You actually got yeah. actors to come in and actually play that exactly. path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, it went on and on. So it, it became more and more uh, realistic. Uh, for instance, then we uh, we brought in some some students from the uni university, uh, and they, then our leaders had to convince them to join Swiss Re. So they first, I mean, th those those leaders had to learn about the company and the benefits of the company, and so and they had to convince the the students uh, that Swiss Re is an attractive uh, employer for instance so that was really? even more because though then the students were real the challenge was real uh, and so 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 we we did experiment you with that sort of thing it was a real deal like it's you know you actually have to try and convince these students why there's something at stake yeah there's you know do you know enough information are you good at it like you're going to actually have to try and do it yeah 
Yeah, and there was something at stake. I mean, uh, the, the leaders had a responsibility. If they fail, if if you know, then then their reputation would would suffer. <laughs> so they there was there was something at stake. Okay, so you're doing this. You're doing this for the Swiss company, and then you said, "Hey, we're we're onto something here." Yeah. So then how did that? How did you make the transition out? Partner up with your your colleagues and and move on to this. Yeah, and uh, during that time, I also got to know uh, Matthias, uh, one of our uh, co-founders uh, as well. And he was, uh, at the time, he had invented a, a real interesting approach to, to action learning. So what he did, he, he took leaders to a SOS children's village. Okay. And those leaders had to work with the kids at the, at those SOS children's villages and to do a project with them. So for instance, they had to do, uh, at the end of the week, they had to perform a play on stage about conflict resolution, for instance, which was a topic in that SOS children's village to how, how to deal with conflict. Okay. So our leaders or the leaders at the time, they had to go there make a connection with those kids and perform uh, a project with those with those kids and the challenge obviously is kids are very uh, uh, they're very open and they're not uh, hesitating to give you feedback or their feedback is very direct you know i mean if they if they are bored they just walk away or they don't show up the next day because they find it boring so our job as facilitators was to coach those leaders and to reflect with those leaders uh, on how they do with the kids and what that has in common with leadership at their companies. So there was another step uh, and that was a, a very important uh, experience for us to realize how powerful uh, action learning with real challenges uh, is. You know, what's interesting about this and, and why I, I love this topic is, you know, what you're talking, I think sometimes we talk about learning experiences. That, that term gets thrown around in the industry a lot. No, oh, it's a learning experience. But I don't know that every all learning experiences are created equal. And I would say not all learning experiences are people actually learning anything. They may be acquiring new knowledge, but they may not actually be learning how to do something or getting better at something that they weren't very good at. And what you're talking about is actually deconstructing that situation and then facilitating true experience, like an actual experience where you're doing that kind of thing. I'm curious as you were doing that and and I'm curious just what were you know, how do you how were you able to take that apart a little bit because I I've seen organizations try to do this or I've seen people try and do this and sometimes we we just miss the mark because it's not actually solving a real problem we're, we're so focused on creating this hypothetical situation that mm -hmm. it doesn't actually translate over to things so it sounds like some of these missions you're talking about, yes, they're real situations, but it may not necessarily be the exact thing people are doing or facing, but it's mm -hmm. close enough that you're bridging the gap. Yeah. And that was also one, uh, one learning process for us that we realized the closer we managed to bring the reality of the leaders 
to life in those leadership challenges. So the, the, the smaller the gap from that challenge to their reality is, the easier is also the transfer of the, of the newly acquired skills. Okay. So, I mean, if you have, to, to make an example, if you have uh, Chinese uh, actors in front of you, there's still quite a gap to, to the reality, right? Yeah. But if you're, if you're taking a, a real challenge of your own organization and you have to solve it, but you don't just solve it as a project, but you solve it as an action learning uh, challenge where you have spaces for reflection, uh, where you get feedback, uh, interpersonal feedback and so on, then it becomes much more real and, uh, and the learning is more impactful and, and sustainable probably. Okay. So how is the, I'm curious, just the response. So you were doing this, this was 20 years ago, you know, mm. that you started doing these kinds of things. What was the response? What was the response from, from the participants? Cause I think sometimes what I've seen is there is this natural skepticism from people um, because that's not necessarily what they've experienced in learning and development before. You know, if they've, if they've been put in a case study, it just feels very academic versus action, like you said, action oriented. So there was some healthy skepticism behind, yeah, here Absolutely. we go. Here's another thing you're going to ask me to do. So I'm curious, you know, when you first engage with participants on this, what's the attitude? How are people responding to it? Hmm. We, we experienced a lot of that skepticism and, and uh, sometimes it was, uh, was that high that people are, were thinking about walking away from, from the experience because it, it can get quite messy uh, in, in terms of, I mean, imagine this situation at the SOS Children's Village. If, if uh, I mean, if those children just uh, walk away or, and then, or if they, if they show resistance to what you're trying to do with them. And uh, I think what, what helped us there is that we were investing a lot of time and energy in, in the relationship between us and the participants. Okay. I think that was that was the key that we needed we needed to get their trust. I think that that is essential. If they don't trust you, if they see only the challenger in you or if they if they think you're trying to make their life more difficult, uh, then I think they they would walk away probably when it gets messy or when it gets difficult. But if they if the if you have a solid basis with them, if they if you have a, a trust level with them, then I think they're able to go into a reflection mode, and then they can detect very valuable insights. But we were sometimes in the at the edge of that. So we I remember one participant in one of those SOS children's villages who several times said, "Now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I don't have to do this. This is." crap i'm gonna walk away <laughs> and we managed to hold to hold him back to keep him in in the setting uh with a lot of discussions uh, late at night whenever and and at at the end of the program he said that this was the most valuable experience uh, in leadership development he's ever had okay. because he, he was able to stay and he was able to look into the mirror and realize what was maybe not ideal in his own behavior, what he can change and, and to learn from it. And since this is such an emotional process also, 
that's I think the key why it's so impactful because it's it's insights and emotions put together and that that makes it extremely memorable for people. Okay. Well, and you know, it's interesting that the conversation, this conversation is timely for me, um, especially with some things I have going on right now, because I think to me, this is such an important thing for people in our field to think about, um, especially when it comes to people's live time, right? Especially when it comes to people's live time, because you can, you can deliver content, you can deliver content in a million different ways and let people consume it when they want, how they want, where they want, the speed they want, all this stuff. But when you're actually bringing people together to do something, it, at least from my perspective, it has to be action-based. It has to be something that, that creates that response that you're seeing in participants that are like, this is uncut. Like, this is uncomfortable. This is making me frustrated or challenged, or I'm, I'm being pushed in ways that I don't like because that's really where the learning's happening. And some of that stuff, that is the stuff that can only happen through experience and can only happen live. So for if we're using people's live time, I think sometimes this is where we see people check out when they think of corporate learning. Yeah, it's, yeah you're just yeah. going to tell me more information. You're just going to make me kind of take a, a quiz or a test. Or you're, you might ask me to solve a case study, but it's not, it's not really pushing me into something I may not be comfortable with. And I think sometimes we're afraid to go there, mm. but hearing that story, I, it, it just further validates for me. We need to get better at, at that. We need to get better as an industry at figuring out those situations and pushing people into them. Yeah, I fully agree. And I, I think that was one of the, one of the insights we also had that we, we started to challenge the order uh, of, of learning, so to speak. So normally or traditionally, you learn in order to solve problems later on, right? So you try to learn some new skills and then you hope that eventually later on you can use them to solve some problems. And we are now challenging this by saying, okay, we let people solve problems and we hope that they learn something by doing that yeah and and that's in our in our logic makes more sense you know it's it's funny with that because and again i'm sure somebody could find some sort of data or white paper on this but just even you know from my own personal experience this is a flip i think well let me be careful how i say this because i don't necessarily think we need to swing the pendulum completely but I do think we need to create more opportunity for that flip to happen mm -hmm. uh, because people, they need to fail. And I think that's one of the things so often we're afraid to do is we're afraid to put people in situations where they might not succeed. We're afraid, well, what if they don't pass or what if they don't do it? And, and I would say, good, good, because that's what's going to draw out of them that, that response where, you know, well, the kid walked away. What the mm -hmm. heck? Well, let's talk about that. Why do you think that the kid got bored and left and wasn't interested in coming back? That's really what drives that reflection and that kind of hard look in the mirror on, well, what are you not doing well? What are the real gaps that you have that can then lead to the motivation you need to actually want to go develop more skills? Because you say, you know what, I guess I'm not really that good at, at this skill versus, like you said, I think a lot of times we just assume we need to tell people everything and get them 
up to speed before we put them into things versus saying we can put people into things and then they can learn afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you mentioned uh, failing, for instance. I mean, how do you, how do you want to learn to fail if, if not, if you can't fail really? I mean, you know, I mean, to fail in a case study is one thing, but to fail in a mission or in a case which is real, where you have a real stakeholder or a real uh, sponsor of that case who has expectations towards you and you fail is a totally different story. And then to reflect on that and to take insights about yourself as, as a leader or uh, as a group, as a team also, is a different story because you have to, yeah, it, it, it's, much, it's much more real. Yeah. You know, if, if there's something at stake, then, then it's a different story. So I have to ask, I have to ask this because there, there's, and don't worry about the background noise. So there's, there's the psychological safety piece that I think sometimes people, think, and I'm really curious how, how you manage that because that's the real thing. And I think that's where it's easy sometimes to say, yeah, we should make people fail more. Yeah. We should put them in, hmm. in the hot seat. And you, you can't just do that recklessly. You can't just throw people and go, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Crash and burn. Because there is a good reason that people do struggle with failure. There's a good reason why, you know, and everybody's threshold and everybody's thing is different. So I'm curious, how do you work with people on that so that it is a secure environment where, yes, there's real consequences. Yes, there's, you know, things that actually happen as a result, but it's not so far that it's actually causing damage or harm to the participant. How do you, how do you strike that balance? Um, I think we, we try to do that by investing enough or a lot of time in the beginning of creating a, a relationship and, and, and create some trust either uh, on one side between the participants who don't who usually don't know each other in the beginning right it's a mixed group of people from from all over the world or from different uh, organizations and also the trust between us and them that's that's extremely important and uh, i think you can't invest enough in that part and to create that that safe space, as you as you also describe it, this psychological safety uh, within a group, and then obviously, I mean, we, we also do some some expectation management uh, in the beginning with uh, with the sponsors also who provide the case. I mean, they are aware that it's a learning experience, and they're not hiring a consulting company to solve their problem, and they they don't pay for that. So. So there are so all sorts of things which which we do, but I think the key is really the trust level and and the relationship in the beginning. Okay. And we we've we've made some experiences also when we didn't do that enough, that people didn't dare to go into that self reflection mode yeah. enough. Also, I think there's a direct correlation. Well, and I think it's an important message for people in our field who may be moving into this territory and saying, all right, we want to do more experiential action type stuff, but how do we do it in a positive way? And I think you hit on two really important things, which is one, you cannot underestimate that, that trust side of things and building that culture and environment where people know 
it's okay. Like you're not, you're not going to lose your job or you're not going to get, you're not going to get beat up if you fail. This is that we expect you to fail. And I think that Mm -hmm. goes to your second point, which is expectations. And you hit on the stakeholders, but I think that's also important for the participants to know you should fail. We plan on that. We designed this for you not to just get a trophy and get to the, get to the finish line. You, you should struggle in this and that's okay. And that way I think it does mentally set people up to know, okay, so it's, 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 I'm not bad or I'm not falling short if I don't make it through on the first attempt. No, that's, that's quite all right. Mm. So that there is that security, but again, you cannot underestimate that. And that's where I have seen it gone South is I've seen, I've seen Sims or mission type things before where, they don't set that expectation or take the time to build that trust and people come in cold and, yeah. and it doesn't go well. It no. does not go well at all. It, or people just don't truly engage. They, they, they get very defensive. They get very protective and they either don't participate or they just are like, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what I think what it also takes is enough, spaces for reflection and that 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 the participants get into a a rhythm of doing stuff and reflecting on what you did so that that has to become like a a normal thing to do which we usually don't do in in everyday life in in everyday life we are so driven that we only perform and we hardly ever reflect on how we did or what we did and what worked well and what didn't so yeah. I think that's also important that people realize, okay, I can experiment with things and then I reflect on things and then I try to make it better next time. So that, that's, that this becomes a normal flow of things. Well, and the one thing you didn't mention, because I think that cycle is one we, we need to be much more intentional about. We, there's opportunity for us to be much more intentional about let's, let's have people do something Let's, like you said, be intentional about making sure, because it is true. So many times people, they're just going through stuff, not necessarily thinking about why did it go this way? Why did it not go this way? What would I have done differently had I had I done things differently? And forcing that point of reflection is powerful. The one thing that you didn't mention, but even from your earlier points, it sounds like this is part of it, is that then coaching element. I'm guessing as a facilitator, you're also you've also got some insights that you're sharing with these people along the way as part of that, in case their reflection either isn't a hundred percent on target or maybe is incomplete. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's one important element of, of the whole process that we as facilitators, we also do one-to-one coachings with, with people. I mean, in the beginning, they they come up with some individual learning objectives also when they start the process. And we are uh, accompanying people through the process, also keeping an eye on those individual learning objectives. So because, I mean, we want to... We want them to take away something on the individual uh, level. Uh, In addition them- to this kind of bigger problem that they're solving for. Exactly. So the, the outcome is usually a solution to the problem, but then also a lot of learning on individual level, but also on group level uh, as, as a team. Okay. So that's always our goal. And and to, to keep the challenge often is to keep uh, the balance between those two, because people... 
especially when they when they see a purpose in in the in the challenge when they they want Oop, you hit mute you hit mute guido unmute yourself there there we go the, the, partic the participants want to do a good job they want to deliver a good result and then it's our job as facilitators to hold the horses and to to balance that with learning because uh, the closer the deadlines come when they have to deliver to the to the client or to the sponsor, we have to make sure that they they keep on doing the reflection because they only want to perform, they only want to to deliver a solution. Yeah. Well, and what you're talking about, and I think this is just such an it's a valuable thing that I've seen, especially, and I'm, and this is where I'm curious how the transition has happened as you've evolved over 20 years of doing this, and then also now, especially recently, moving into the virtual space. But you know, as I look at this journey for a lot of L&D organizations, this is one where I think sometimes facilitators or are, are, can feel threatened by this this new move because. Historically, a lot of times when facilitators have been facilitating, they've been delivering content, right? They've been facilitating content and, and sharing informations and insights and, and doing that. And this is true facilitation of an experience where if we want to get academic on it, this is where you move from sage on the stage to guide on the side where your role as a facilitator, I think, is, is even more elevated in terms of the the value you're bringing but it's a very different set of skills in the way you're executing that because your job is not to sit and tell everybody things but your job is to set the stage to build the trust to serve as that kind of coach and that facilitator through the experience to help people get the most out of it and to me i think that is an extremely rewarding place to be in in that space but it is a big shift it's a big shift mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but so with as, that, as an introvert, as an introvert, that's that's quite quite good because then you you don't have to be on stage, so it's it's it plays into your card. <laughs> well, I th what's funny about it is that's it's actually kind of a true thing, and I think I think sometimes as and again, I think extroverts can learn how to work in that environment, but I will say it can be a very powerful environment that you can thrive in as an introvert because instead of feeling like you have to be up on stage in front of everybody you are kind of on the sidelines and and it is a natural transition it's easier to play in that space but it's in my opinion it's no less valuable if anything it's fantastic because you're truly facilitating a learning experience now my question to you is as you've as you've kind of gone through this transition what have been some of the big learnings over 20 years of doing this that you've that you've taken? You know, what are some of the things that early on you thought this would work really well, but then it didn't or or you've had to evolve it? Hmm. Well, besides the things we've already talked about, that the, the connection, the trust, that that is that is something really important. And I mean, in the last probably two, two years or so, um, and that has probably also to do with the age uh, me and my colleagues are in <laughs> that we 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 wanted to add another element to this action learning thing and this is is the is the corporate social responsibility or the the sustainability aspect of things so 
what we are trying to do with the mission is to bring in challenges which are related to the sustainable development goals of the UN. So okay. those they're not just they're not just uh, projects of any of a given organization, but we also try to find challenges which are adding to to the benefit of the world, so to speak, if, if you wish. Okay. Uh, so, so moving beyond just this tactical execution of, hey, here's a problem that, you know, you may be facing, which is important. It's important that there's some direct relevance, but digging into that deeper purpose of this, yeah. this, this challenge is, yes, it's not only solving a short-term problem, but it's contributing to a larger, larger yeah. purpose. Exactly. And we realize that on one hand, the younger generation of, of employees or leaders, uh, they are buying into this because they, they seem to have different values in terms of what, what they want to do with their time. Uh, I mean, when we were younger, we, we had our career in mind and we wanted to, you know, move up the ranks and so on. They, the younger people nowadays, they have the, they have the ambition to contribute to the world. They, they, they are very selective about how to invest their time. And so that, that's a good thing. And also experienced leaders who participate in our programs, they say that finally I can combine contributing to something which makes sense and try to learn at the same time. So finally I don't have to solve, you know, interesting case studies but which are you know it doesn't matter whether i do them or not now i can make a difference and learn something by you know develop skills by doing that yeah and that's well, that's another element and i think you know this is something i think there's something valuable in talking about this just in general because i think there's opportunity to do this not just in in learning and development but i think a lot of these things where you're looking for shared opportunity i think this is where you see things really accelerate is when you say, yes, you're doing this thing, but it's not happening in a vacuum. You're not doing this just for the sake of doing this. You're doing it because it's connected to this and this and this and the overlap. You're working and solving multiple things at the same time, rather than just trying to find time. Because I know you read any, you read any research study or any, you know, thing, survey coming out of our field, one of the biggest complaints of people is they want to develop, they hunger to develop, but they feel that they don't have the time to do it. Now, that's easy to say, oh, well, the solution is let's just chop everything up into micro, micro nanobytes of content and things like that. And I think there's, yeah. there's some value in doing that. But at the same time, we all have the 20, same 24 hours and people will make time for things that matter. They will make time for things that matter. And I think what you're getting at is when we figure this out and we figure out how do we make what we're doing matter, people will find time for it. I mean, it sounds like people participate. Nobody goes, you know what? I really got to go. I can only be here for seven minutes today because I don't have any attention span and I need to go. It sounds like by actually connecting the dots on this, people are finding value and they're willing to make the investments. Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, our experience is also that a lot of people would like to contribute uh, to to the good or to the to the to the better of the world, but they don't know how. 
there is a struggle how to do that uh, besides just you know donating money uh, and and in in the mission uh, we all also offer a way of contributing uh, without just donating money but you can really do something okay okay so it's it's really kind of social cause combined yeah. with skill development all in the same thing where you're saying look you're come do this and do the thing because I, I I mean I almost I think it's rare you come across somebody that's like no I don't really want to contribute to anything I think just mm -hmm. naturally people have that desire to want to contribute to things but like you said a lot of times they don't know how or they feel they don't have time because it feels like something they have to do outside of some of the other things it's this isolated thing and what you're talking about is saying connect those dots bring those two together so that you're accomplishing what three, four things at the same time. You're developing skills. You're solving problems. You're you're contributing to a social cause. That's something that now people are saying, "Yeah, I've got I've got time for that. I've got time okay. for that because that's meaningful value to me and something bigger." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for 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 instance, we we had this uh, mission going on with uh, the African Leadership University. Just to make an example, the African Leadership University was the sponsor. That's a it's a, a very innovative uh, organization in in South Africa and in uh, in Mauritius and in different uh, space uh, locations in in Africa. And they're um, attracting a lot of African students, but they, in order to to grow and in order to uh, to be more and more relevant, they need also uh, international students. Okay. So they were sponsoring a case of how can we become a more international brand and how can we attract more international students to bring that cause of Africa, how can we grow uh, leaders in Africa, also to make it a more international issue. And that was that was uh, the case which was provided and some uh, leaders from different organizations were working on this challenge to provide the African Leadership University with a concept how they can grow and how they can uh, become a more international brand. So that's a concrete example of how to bring a, a social, you know, a, a meaningful or a, um, a purposeful um, challenge uh, to life, and how to to make uh, to make a, a leadership challenge out of that. So now, so, is that part of? Now, I'll just ask because I think it's an important piece that you just hit on there. Now, is that part of the design process? Then, as you're actually designing these missions, you're actually saying, "Hey, let's talk about this." Because a lot of times we talk about let's start with the end in mind or start with the problem, but I don't think people always know what that looks like. And it's not a bad thing. I think sometimes people struggle with what does that actually look like? And so is that then part of the design process as you're designing these missions to say, what are you really trying, what are you really trying to accomplish out of this? And also this, is there a bigger picture? Is that how you're actually starting with the design that then you back into what does that look like? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we see ourselves also as sort of matchmaker between between people who have a challenge and learners who want to learn some skills. And we are trying to do that magic and bring these people together to, to form like a community, so to speak, uh, 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, on one hand, we, we try to network with uh, organizations who have a need. And on the other hand, we try to acquire some, uh, some participants. And then we try to make that match and bring them together because we think yeah, both can benefit from each other. Okay. So that's part of, I mean, in terms of the mission, and we're not talking about the mission, the actual mission itself, but the company, the mission that you and your mm-hmm. co-founders are working on, that's part of what your organization is doing is working with organizations to say, hey, who are the who are the organizations? What are the challenges? But then also who are the individuals out there who would be a good match to help solve this problem or contribute to the social cause, all the while developing the underlying skills that are that are happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the participants for them, it, it usually starts with that they say, I want to learn some, some new skills. We call them 21st century skills, like agility and, and creativity and so on. Yeah. And that's the starting point for the participants. And then they find, okay, I could now go to whatever platform and uh, consume videos about it, or I can, I can start a mission and I can try to learn these skills by immediately applying them on, on, a, on a real course. And that, that's the starting point from the participant side. And our, our network on the, on the organizational side then uh, helps us to come up with uh, relevant challenges, which, which uh, match, uh, which build the platform for the participants to learn. Okay, got it. Got it. So that helps me just even understand the business itself in terms of how that works. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can see. So this is really an opportunity for people who are trying to develop skills to have a, a completely different way of doing that. And I think it's interesting. What's interesting about it is it's an opportunity to step outside. Well, see, now you're adding another layer of value to it in the sense that, one, you get to solve a problem that's outside kind of your realm of things while still making it relevant while still contributing and it sounds like you're also bringing people together from all over so you're you're connecting with new people correct absolutely and that that's very valuable uh, for people that they can build a new network of like-minded or also different-minded people that they yeah after this i mean the whole experience goes between six and and ten weeks or so and so that's an intense time they spend together they struggle with each other they they go through crises also but eventually they they succeed and that's a, a very enriching and uh you know experience which which brings people together and uh, sometimes these relationships last yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's so that's where I want to shift now because I'm curious just from a tactical standpoint. I mean, some people might have heard six to eight weeks and thought, like, that's a lot. But what I think is interesting about that and the value of that is the fact that you don't build skills overnight. And even just in the real world, you don't solve business challenges in a in a in two days. You don't you don't have a you know. SWOT analysis meeting and come out of that and have fixed things. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes attempting things and having that fail. So what is walk me through one of these things? Like what is an actual mission? If I'm a participant, what, what does that structure look like over those six to 10 weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I think the, the, the first week or so that is dedicated to team building and to, to connection. So that's uh, when we try to bring people together. I think it's especially, it's especially important when you work virtually that you bring people together, that they get uh, to know each other and they build a connection. And then they learn about the challenge. Uh, so they, they learn what the problem is they have to solve. And that's usually done by a video. And maybe we can show a video, uh, an example later. And then they have to try and understand better what is it really they have to do. So they have to develop uh, some questions. So they have to interview the sponsor. So they have to be empathic with the sponsor. They have to learn what is the real challenge behind uh, the official one, maybe, and then they start working. They uh, they learn some uh, agility skills. They learn some design thinking skills, but they don't learn design thinking skills just for for learning them. But they need okay. they use them immediately because they they do, they have to do some persona work uh, in order to solve that challenge, and they they immediately apply those skills to the to the real challenge. And then they go, they usually go through uh, iteration. So so, I told you I was going to cut you off at some point. Yeah. So, so there is, and I think, cause we talked about this earlier that, you know, sometimes it's just, oh, you know, push people into the pool and let them have, you know, go into it. And sometimes they need some sort of development. And it sounds like as part of this mission, you're not isolating development or saying, no, you're not, we're not going to educate you on anything. It's just, it's going to be tailored specific to this. So as part of this process, there is some skill development or knowledge development that's happening to prepare you for the experience, but it's very intentional and connected to the actual mission. Exactly. So we, we provide them with some input. Uh, we, we, we teach them a little bit, but not uh, so they can, they can memorize it, but they can apply it immediately. They need to apply it immediately afterwards. Uh, so we we yeah we provide with them with the knowledge they need in order to be successful in the mission. So that's that's the rhythm. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. And you're pulling people from all over the world for this, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I so, have to. I'm curious. I am curious because from a, <laughs> I'm curious what this transition looked like from in person to virtual because now i'm here in six to eight weeks in person that would be that would be pretty rough i think it would be easier to pull off virtually but i'm curious as you made that transition how did that affect things and also you know sometimes i've, I've heard people say all oh, virtual it just it's not the same you can't connect with people the same now i will go head to head with anybody who wants to have that conversation because I will vehemently defend the fact that you can have meaningful connections in the virtual space. But I'm curious, how have you helped make that transition? Because there are some things that you have to do differently. If you just try and do what you did in person virtually, it will not work. It, it just yeah. won't be as effective. But if you do it intentionally and with purpose, it can. So I'm curious how that shift happened. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, our on-site programs, they were... Uh, they were in, in two or three or four days. So they, the, the days were together. So they didn't have it used to be just really compressed because you, you had to fly people in. They came also from all over the world. So you cannot fly them in every two months for a day. So they came in for three or four days and they were working on that challenge 
day and night, more or less. And then eventually at the end of the program, they would deliver uh, the results. And so this is now... an accelerated boot camp type thing when it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now with the, with the virtual work, we have the benefit of uh, splitting that time up to six to eight to, to 10 weeks, which en enables people to to experiment much more. So they get some input, they have to do something uh, during the week, and then we see them again at the end of the week, we do a reflection and, and so so go the weeks. I mean, so that, that's really a, a benefit of the virtual work that we can extend the learning process to, to more time, which makes it even more uh, sustainable, I think. Rather than having a very intense experience in three days, uh, in a in a in a hotel or wherever, uh, and then right. go back to to your reality, and then you have this transfer again. So here you are uh, at your computer, and you. I mean, this is the new reality for a lot of people anyway. That they have to work virtually together, and here they can experiment with some new behaviors working virtually. So that's the new reality anyway. So it's it's interesting, it's interesting how you bring this up, and I think this is one of the things that. I have, I think this is where technology is unlocking the possibilities of this stuff. Because like you said, I think, and what I did, I did share a video in the comments, the video, because we're, we're, we're going to run out of time, just like I promised. You would. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't believe me. No. Um, you know, so, but, but the point with technology is this was, this used to be a real limitation because you were trying to coordinate this in-person stuff. And so to get people to travel in and try and do this, it, it did kind of force you into a box of, well, we have to cram what we know really should take maybe a couple months for people to actually absorb and do digest and process and reflect and learn and build and grow. But we don't have that luxury because they're only here from Wednesday to Friday. So exactly. we better just make it happen and let's pack this in. And this is where I think technology has done a fantastic job of it's unlocking that possibility and saying, actually, we don't have that barrier anymore. We no yeah. longer have that barrier to say, oh, we need to compress all of this into this time window because the reality is that did leave people, even if they had a fantastic experience in four days, three days, and they really had some meaningful insights because it was so compressed, they get bounced back to their real life and and that degrades. It, it just very quickly degrades versus that sustainability piece truly allows the time for it to marinate and kick in. And again, it's not a it's not a knock on in person. If you happen to have the luxury, you're talking about people coming in from all around the world, things like that. Fine. But you can have people who might be in the same building, probably not now, but they might go back to the same building where you might say, we have this experience, but it doesn't have to be three days. It might be an hour or two hours this day, an hour, two hours this day, three, you know, whatever. And you space that out so people actually have time to grow. So it's interesting yeah. that the experience has been, you've actually been able to enrich the experience in this new world. Yeah. Yeah, but it also comes with uh, additional challenges, of, yeah. of course. I mean, when you have people together for three or four days on, on such an intense journey in a program, the dynamic helps you uh, go through this and it, it makes it very intense. And that's something you have to keep up when you 
when you only see people every three, four days or so, uh, virtually, how do you keep up the energy? How do you keep up the commitment of people? Because at the same time, obviously, other things are going on for them. I mean, their yep. reality. New is, priorities. Is, yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that that is one of our challenges, uh, obviously, that how to keep them committed to that uh, learning challenge they have besides all the other challenges they have in, in their uh, you know, professional life. Okay. And and again, that is a that is a re that is a real challenge. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of organizations struggled with in 2020. I think a lot of organizations struggled with this in 2020 as they moved into the virtual space was there were there are definite benefits to having things in person. You have people there, you have them completely isolated, you can kind of like capitalize on that moment and you start to space that out competing priorities, other challenges, just even the energy and momentum behind it can start to wane. So I think, have there been some things in the, in the couple minutes we have left that have worked really well to help, yeah. to help make that still carry that energy and momentum? Yeah. I think what we, what we learned and what we realized is how important it is in the, in the early stage of, of the process to invest some time on the purpose question. Okay. So, that they really uh, challenge each other. Why are we doing this? And what what is the benefit? And if they get that out, if they if they crystallize that in the beginning, that helps keep up the energy. If they fail doing that, or if they if they postpone that, or if they don't do that at all, then the likelihood that things fall apart and the commitment goes down is much it's much higher so therefore we have learned to to push them on that purpose question a, a lot more in the beginning than we used to uh, when we started okay got it well that's i i love that and i think sometimes it goes to this whole saying of sometimes you have to go slow to go fast i think the same is yeah. true to sometimes you need to make those investments on the front end to really yeah. get the sustainability so um, I can see where just making sure you're building that commitment, that trust, that value, that purpose on the front end of saying, here's, here's what we're all here to do. You wait to do that. I'm sure by the second, third session, people are kind of like, eh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into this anymore. I've, I've got other things that are taking up more of my time. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm not going to open up anything new because if I do, we will go way over time. <laughs> I told you, I told you, you doubted me and I told you. So we are at the top of the hour. So I'm going to wrap us up. But honestly, Guido, this has been fantastic. And anybody listening or watching, if you're thinking about action learning or how do you actually build experiential learning or questioning whether that can be done virtually, I mean, if this conversation hasn't given you some food for thought or some insights or some things to change your perspective, I don't know. I don't know what else we can do for it, but it sounds like, yeah, you know, I just, I love what you guys are doing with this. I love where you're taking it. And I think it's a really cool way to bring action learning to life, to, to solve a lot of these different challenges for folks. So I've shared a video in the comments if you want to see a little bit more, but again, um, definitely people can check out what you all are doing and, and get involved in that. So thank you, Guido, for joining me today. Um, maybe you can make thank it to you. Australia. Maybe not today, but but maybe soon. And uh, hopefully this won't be our last conversation. 
Hopefully. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Have a great one, everybody, and have a wonderful weekend.